Support for When Dating Hurts comes from Liquid IV. Hydration doesn't get enough attention. It's not just about people running around a tennis court or doing an hour of Zumba or body pump. Proper, functional hydration is an all-day, everyday thing. And to help us stay hydrated, Liquid IV is the category-winning hydration multiplier. Sure, you can use Liquid IV before, during, and after playing pickleball, but you can also use it when you're starting to lose concentration in Zoom meetings or even after a night out with friends. One convenient stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water can hydrate you back to life two times faster than water alone, and you'll be getting essential vitamins plus three times as many electrolytes as leading sports drinks. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. My favorite flavor is Golden Cherry. It's one of 12 great-tasting flavors that make hydration pretty exciting. Real people, real flavor, real hydrating. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WHENDATINGHURTS, all one word, at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WHENDATINGHURTS at liquidiv.com. I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. Today on the When Dating Hurts podcast, we're talking with Laura Frumbach and Joy Farrow, who've written a book called Street Smart Safety for Women out in October 2023. It's a great book for parents, probably a little more mothers than dads, even though both should read it. Moms tend to to do what they should do more than men do what they should do. I would imagine, too, all kinds of high school and college administrators should get their hands on this book, too. And that's not to say people in their 20s on up shouldn't get the book. Welcome. I'm so happy to catch up with you both today. Thanks, Bill. We are so thrilled to be here. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having us. Really, this is just great. When I saw the email that you both wanted to come on the podcast and talk about your book, I thought, wow, this is a very realistic book. This is a very proactive book. Mm-hmm. This is one of those things, too, that comes along for a lot of people that you don't maybe think it applies to you because maybe it hasn't, as a, as a grown-up, as a parent, maybe hasn't dented your life mm-hmm. yet, or maybe it hasn't. You don't know it, to be honest with you, because a lot of people, you know, nobody, nobody really wants to raise their hand when they get caught up in a domestic violence relationship. They don't want to run around and tell all their friends, hey, guess what? I'm being abused. But I like this because it's realistic. And then it kind of gets you into, here's what's going on and here's what you need to do. Let me do this first, Laura and Joy. Give our audience your background because it's so impressive. I grew up in a normal, should I say, household. And I, I don't come from violence. And I went into law enforcement. I was in that for 28 years. I was a a road patrol officer first for Pompano Beach Police in Florida, and then I went to work for the Broward Sheriff's Office as a deputy. I retired from there about five years ago. 
Okay, that was Joy. Yeah. Laura, would you give us a snapshot of your career? So my career was as a technologist. I was in the army, I learned technology, and I went on to my entire life, really, in technology. I grew up as a child of family violence, domestic violence. Domestic violence runs as far back in my family and as far wide in my family as I can see. And, you know, what's interesting is that I was certainly aware of it as a child, but as an adult, it took me a long time to realize the impact that that background had on my thinking, behavior, and viewpoint of the world. The light comes on late, usually. You know, it, it kind of becomes that's your that's that's how it is at home, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it has to be something like that. Now, when you say there was domestic violence, you had this type of thing. Is this your kind of um, stereotypical bad dad kind of situation? You know, what is what, what was happening? Stereotypical, as I said, my dad came from generations of of family violence. He was the bad dad. My mom, we all suffered from it, but my mom especially. The interesting thing is I acknowledged it for years and and I knew it happened and I got out of the house as, as quickly as I could, but my mom suffered from mental illness. She was crazy, really. I I hate to use that word, but there's no other word to use it. She was mean. She was abusive herself. But the interesting thing about my mom is that my grandmother and my aunt, who grew up with her, said she wasn't always like that. They said she was the nicest girl they ever met. She had such a kind heart. And the mother I knew did not have a kind heart. And so for years, our family would discuss what could have happened to her, what could have happened to her. And then my mom passed away, my, the rest of my family passed away. But every once in a while through the years, I would think, I wonder whatever happened to my mom to make her that way. And finally, just a few years ago, I had the aha moment. And I thought to myself, could it have been the violence? And then I immediately thought to, again to myself, my next thought was, well, that's crazy. Who in the hell can't take a punch? Interesting. And I was appalled at my own thinking. And and that really, it changed my life. Well, also, they were uh, alcoholics too, right? That's true. There was a, uh, alcoholism in my family as well. My father came from an alcoholic family. And I believe as a result of my mother's abuse, that she became an alcoholic as well. To tell you the truth, I became an alcoholic myself. Now I haven't drank in many, many years, but I grew up with all of the isms, with all of the the thought processes along with that, that, you know, when life gets to be too much, you take a drink. You know, it's taken a long time to interrupt that process. And it's a long time, it's taken a long time to interrupt the process of the thoughts that grow up with having domestic violence in the family. The thinking is that mom self-medicated. Is that the idea? I mean, that's another way to put it. That's a very good way to put it. Yes. Yes. I mean, she was living in a siege world and one way to remain in it is right. to numb yourself. Right. And then maybe the thinking is between the ongoing violence, the just the atmosphere of being in that house, the drinking, 
at some point she just kind of slid over and and at that point as you your word right. was crazy right did you feel she was crazy while you were living there oh absolutely and for me it was interesting that my grandmother and my aunt would be so insistent. I mean, they didn't say it once or twice. They said it over and over for years. And as an adult, they kept asking me what happened to her, what happened to her. I could not reconcile the person that they described with the person I knew. And it never once occurred to me to tell them about the violence. They had no idea. And I just assumed that everybody knew about it. And really, what was there to talk about? It's just life at home. It's just life at home, and that's the way my parents were. And, you know, I was glad not to be there. And, you know, I went on with my own life until, as I mentioned, it finally occurred to me with that light bulb. How old were you when you finally got free of that house? I left as soon as I could. I was I left at 18. Okay. Now, I will tell you that, and you probably know this, and, and your listeners probably know this, that I wanted to leave for years as a teen. And I would sneak out of the house in the middle of the night and run away and I didn't even know where I was going. But the guilt of leaving my siblings and, and our dog behind would get to be too much after a while and I would turn around and my parents never even knew I left the house. So I would leave, I would feel guilty and I would come back and it would get bad, I would leave and I would come back. And this happened over and over. Mm. And you also said that you're relatives didn't realize what was going on her father went to work well liked at work mm -hmm. so the family really didn't know did your mother work no mm -hmm. so she i think she was agoraphobic right mm -hmm. you know nobody knew like they say about domestic violence he went to work he was very clean at his job people liked him at work and then came home her family relatives outside of her house never knew what went on they, they went to family outings didn't know what went on inside the house and it went on for years now the reason also that they didn't know was my mother wore turtlenecks and baggy clothes for 20 years even in the summertime i was going to say in the hot days of summer in the hot days of summer and it wasn't until mm. as i said many years into being an adult did I realize, because we used to make fun of her for dressing like that. And I finally realized why she dressed like that. It was to hide the bruises. Mm. Now, my dad never hit her in the face. You never saw anything on her face. But, you know, when they would fight in the evenings, we heard the tumultuous noises that went on. And the next day, they both acted as though nothing happened. Mom is in her turtleneck uniform and pretended nothing ever happened. Do you think mom ever gave it back in kind at all? I believe she tried to. I believe she tried to. Do you think she you know, tried uh, emotionally or physically or both? I would say both. I would oh. say both. Yeah. Because the other thing that really went against my own impression of a battered woman was the fact that she would yell at him almost to egg him on now what i've come to understand about domestic violence and and i've experienced this myself is the survi survivors and victims are very attuned to the abuser's mood and and almost like you know the winds of a hurricane coming up you feel the wind change and you're like 
Oh boy, here it comes. Here it comes. Here comes a bad one. Here comes a bad one. I might as well provoke it and get it over with. It's kind of a bizarre version of control. It's like, hey, you're not going to start this fight. I'm going to start this fight, even though I'm going to get hurt in this fight. That's true. And I'm the oldest of four children. And as the oldest, I tried to protect my siblings. And I would do the same thing with my parents. I'd say, here comes that storm. I'm going to go right into the middle of it. And, and, and actually, I never even thought about reverse control. But I thought, you know what? I'm just going to make it happen because this tension is killing me. The air is heavy. Were your parents physically abusive to you and your siblings too? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Not your little spanking for leaving your bike in the driveway, but something really that would leave a mark too. Mm -hmm. yeah, they, yeah. They'd really bring the, the full fury. They brought the full fury, both of my parents, both of my parents. Now, this is going to sound funny, but my father's violence was easier to manage because he was usually drunk and just learned how to really physically maneuver around it. But my mother was, she was very calculating and perhaps because she didn't leave the house, perhaps because of the alcohol, perhaps because of her own impending mental illness, which could have been caused also by traumatic brain injury. She would be very calculating and she would, I don't even know how else to put it, but set traps for us. We would know the traps were coming. We just didn't know where they were. What's a good example of a trap that they would set? We said like weird mental games. She weird played. mental games. So setting a trap so you would do something wrong and therefore you have to pay for it. Something to upset us. Let's give an example. We would be walking home from school. Let's say my brother or sister had a favorite stuffed animal or a doll. The doll or the toy would be hanging outside by the window sash as though it were a noose. And it would be hanging outside so we could see it when we came home from school. All right. So we were being hung in effigy. I was thinking that. Oh, boy. So. I would see it on the way home from school and I knew what was coming. I knew, you know, how it was going to end. So this is like saying, um, depending on whose doll it was, when you, child number two or three or whatever it is, when you get in here, it's going to be bad for you. Right, right. And so as the oldest, I would try and interrupt that behavior and I would try and, you know, I don't know take the brunt of it or whatever, because I felt that I could handle it. And I, like I said, I knew, I knew where the whole thing was going, but just that she had the audacity to play these, these games with children uh, was really infuriating. That's a lot to process. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot of layers to that one. <laughs> Complexity. Is. Yes, it is. And then, so think back, you know, my grandmother and my aunt are saying, she was she had the kindest heart and they would tell stories of of her having a kind heart and and one quick story was when my father came home from the service he had no place to go so he stayed at his sister's and he called my mother at one in the morning and said he was sleeping on his sister's couch and he didn't have a pillow my mother now he didn't walk down to my mother's house my mother walked you know i don't know nine miles or whatever in a driving snowstorm so think of that at 1 a.m. Mm. to bring my dad a pillow. Bring me, bring me a pillow. 
bring me a pillow so I can go to sleep. And then she walks home. Uh, Now, is that the early domestic, you know, domestic violence seeping in there? That thought, wouldn't you say, you know, when I heard that story, I went, whoa. You know, everybody thinks it was very nice of her. And I'm like, wait a second. Let's look at him for crying out loud. Come on. How could you even ask? Right. But she did it. And and her family used that as an example of my mother's kind heart. And my aunt would say she had the kindest heart back then. And as I said, the, the mother I knew who hung animals or I'm sorry, stuffed animals out the window in effigy. That's not a person with a kind heart. Let's talk about your book a little bit, because that's that's really great. So, you know, I'm kind of looking through the chapters here. You have designed for defensive living. Talk about this a little bit. How do you uh, how do you send that up? Design for defensive living. Our design for defensive living is showing women how you can be safe when you leave your house, mm-hmm. how you can be confident and what you can do in your day and every day. It's like defensive driving. Mm-hmm. So we try to show if you learn defensive driving early on and then as you grew up, you realized that you could drive your car and look around and handle so many different events happening in front of you quickly and take care of that, Yes, that you could do the same thing when you're not driving. With confidence. It's a great idea because it's kind of anticipating what's actually out there. You know, it's one thing to react to something that happened, but it's another thing to see it coming. Right. And what's happening now is with all the technology and women are very busy. So as soon as you're leaving your house, you're immersed in your phone and thinking about work and your relationships. You you have a lot going on and women are being surprised by predators Mm -hmm. and they're not seeing what's coming and they're not seeing what's behind them. They're not seeing what's right in front of them. And this is how they're becoming persuaded and they're blindsided. Yes. Do you think there's something there? I'm thinking back through a lot of the interviews that I've had with uh, survivors. I'm thinking about my own daughter actually too, Mm -hmm. who did not survive, but, but she was very much, I'll say an innocent person, a very nice person, but maybe topping all of that, a very trusting person. She didn't think that people would be as tough or evil as they can be. And I just wonder if that, I mean, it's nice to be that type of person. I'm not knocking that at all. But when you're a little bit Pollyanna naive about the world, then things can be coming up to you or hanging around you. And you just, you're not anticipating anything like that. Mm -hmm. And this sounds a lot like, again, this realistic approach to, you know, kind of like, I hate to break your heart, but this is the way it really is. Mm -hmm. And so for your own good, accept the fact that there are some people, not a lot, but some people, enough people out there that can send your life down the wrong path if you don't believe it can happen and and learn as much as you can. I'm saying a whole lot here as if I wrote the book, you know, but I mean, tell me more about that then. You're right. It's about women not being too polite. So that's exactly it. You can 
be polite, but you don't have to be passive mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. it. But what's happening is women have let their politeness, which has happened from their upbringing yes. for years, overrun them. Yes. And that's where they're making decisions that they shouldn't or they should be second guessing, mm -hmm. either in relationships or just in their daily lives, instead of saying, oh, I should have, I know I shouldn't have. Right. And that's the problem is the politeness. And that's why we're, we're trying to say, shake it off. Now, we also believe that being polite is one thing. And as Joy said, being polite is not being passive, but that we as women, everyone really, we can be defensive and remain polite. It doesn't mean that it's either or. It doesn't mean that it's binary and that you're either polite or you take care of yourself. We believe that, you know, we can take care of ourselves. We can take care of others. But women are not the world's Swiss army knife. We are not compelled to take care of everyone in the world. We can be respectful. We can be polite. But that doesn't mean we can be taken advantage of. And I think with that mentality, when women think that, oh, somebody asked me something, I'm going to have to answer that. Oh, I'm going to have to help. Well, true, you are not the world's Swiss army knife and your safety is a priority for you. And that's how you should think. These are strangers. Now, nobody's saying you need to be mean and nasty. You have to realize for yourself who is all right to continue that conversation with, uh, who to get a little closer with. You don't know this person out on the street or a bar or wherever you've just met them, but it's realizing what you're up against mm -hmm. out there with strangers. There are way too many predators out there that are acting nice just to manipulate you. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to see through it. Support for When Dating Hurts comes from Liquid IV Sugar-Free. What do I like most about Liquid IV? Maybe it's how they make everyday hydration easier than ever. One convenient stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster than water alone. Or maybe it's the new sugar-free flavors like white peach, green grape, and lemon-lime. Or it could be Liquid IV has three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness. Liquid IV, sugar-free, has no artificial sweeteners and zero sugar, so you get a nice sweet taste without the calories or raised glucose levels from sugar. Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier is a non-GMO electrolyte drink mix that utilizes the science of cellular transport technology to deliver water and key nutrients into your body faster and more efficiently than water alone. That way, whether you're playing a sport, doing Zumba, or you're just making your way through another day at work or at home, you stay hydrated more efficiently. And here's a nice offer. Get 20% off when you grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier sugar-free or any variant at liquidiv.com and use this code when dating hurts at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code when dating hurts at liquidiv.com.
and you're right about the predator type people. These people do this all the time. They're practiced at this. Chances are you weren't the first person they made a pass at or tried to mm -hmm. see if you'll come along. They can coerce you into something. You know, they kind of get used to what works and what doesn't work and when to be nice, when to try to slip them some candy or whatever it is. You know, this those things that kind of lead up to a relationship that in the end you wish you never had. One of the things I really liked about what you said too was, and this is something I, I have to say, I look at myself and say, I have struggled with this. I think I'm getting better. But I think that there is that thing where someone asks you a question, quite frankly, you don't really need to answer it, or at least you don't need to answer it head on. Right. There are ways, but it takes a little, you have to think of it and then you have to practice it. But there are times when someone will ask me a question I don't like, and I'll find a way to dance around the question. I'll say, you know, that's an interesting question. I, I'm just kind of asking myself, why are you asking me this question? So I'm reacting, but I didn't tell you anything. The other thing is a word that I struggled with probably more in my teens and 20s was the word no, actually saying no to something. <laughs> because I guess I felt like I put their feelings over top of mine. I like that. And women have trouble with that. You hit that on the head. I haven't heard that from a man before. Women tend to feel, and I don't know too many women from my whole upbringing that put their foot down and said no. Even women that I worked with, certainly my, my mother tried, but she was pretty weak at it. But N-O is tough for women. You're right. They don't want to hurt people's feelings and and then they they wobble. Well, it's important to set boundaries to start to try to say no. And when somebody starts pressuring you, like the relationships or someone you're going to meet, you have to start slow and setting a boundary and telling yourself, "All right, when I leave the house today, I am saying no to anyone that wants anything from me. Start small, start somewhere, and just, that's it. Today, no. Like Joyce said, we suggest for people who have a hard time with that word and a hard time saying no and, and think they want to help everybody, is to start small. Start with the clerk at the grocery store when they try to upsell you. Go to the fast food place and do you want a meal or with that or whatever. And so start with those types of things. And you don't have to make an excuse. You just have to say no. Or, you know, if that's difficult at first, no, thank you. And, and keep going. But one of the things that we've noticed, again, particularly with women, is oftentimes when a man says no, that's the end of the discussion. When a woman says no, that's the beginning of the persuasion oh, process. Yeah, that's good. And, yeah. and people, men and women, mm -hmm. will try to wear women down because whatever they want, it's, you know, kind of like you said, I have to ask myself why you're asking me this. It's often, almost inevitably always, in the other person's best interest. It's not in our best interest. Right. That's right. And sometimes it doesn't sound like it's a big deal, but... When you think about it, it is when somebody keeps pressuring you. So we've said, you know, if you're out with your friends, women are out with their friends. It's like, I got, oh, no, I have to go, you know, especially if you're in college. I have a test in the morning and you get the come on, come on. It's only midnight. You can come and you keep getting it and getting it. And what happens is 
All right. Oh, oh okay. All right. Just for a little while. Just for a little while. And now what right. happened? Right. Tell them the story of the the two women who tried to get you to roll your car window down. That's a good story that illustrates persuading a woman. Oh. Not just men persuading women, but from yes, everybody yeah. trying to Yeah, that's interesting. I was off duty and I finished shopping and I had just got in my car. I closed the door. Are you wearing a uniform at the time? No. Okay. No. And no, in my personal car. Okay. And I just got in the car. I closed the door. Two women must have been in their late 20s. They came from between cars and all of a sudden they were at my window and I had already started the car and I looked over and I saw them standing there and they didn't tap on the window, but they went, they motioned for me. Now I can hear them. They motioned for me. Oh, hi. Can you put the window down? I, I want to ask you something. I said, well, what do you want? Well, if you can just put the windows down, I just want to ask you something. So then they both chime in and they're both, well, good. can't you just, now it starts getting sarcastic. Enough with this already. You can't tell me what you want. I said, step back. I might run your toes over when I leave. And okay. And they did. And I backed out. And then I slowly watched them meander through the parking lot looking for other cars. You know, who can they talk to? And I went there. Now, what was the reason? I don't know. Were they going to jump me? Were they going to grab me by the neck? When you're in your car and you open the window, you have nowhere to go when you're in the driver's seat. So it, it sounds innocuous, but... A man or a woman, and here was two of them, can easily grab you by the throat, have anything in their hand, and that's how carjackings happen. Well, that's anybody could pull any weapon, a spray, and, you know, where are you going to go? You're immobilized, especially if they have a gun. Of course you're going to move over, you know, and then they're going to get in. So you don't have to. There's the politeness. You don't have to open your window and then why am I bothering with you? You know, they weren't like, oh my gosh, th this guy is chasing me. Okay, let, let me call. I'll call 911 for you. No, they didn't ask me to call anybody. They didn't state they had a problem. So these are things that when you're being persuaded, you need to say to yourself, wait a minute. Ho, 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 what's going on here? Before you do what they want. So I didn't have to do what she wanted. And she was annoyed that I didn't do that. And that happens with women sure. a lot. And that's what we want to get a handle yes. on is you don't have to do what a stranger wants. They're not going to call your job. They're not going to tell anyone. You don't have to talk to them. A lot of times you can just wave your hand and say, I'm not talking. I don't I have to bother with you. All right. I think it's very, very smart. And there's no doubt in my mind, these things have to be thought about and it takes some practice. It's it's very hard to go from somebody who yes. bends to the will of just about anybody who wants anything. And then all of a sudden come up with these really nice Dale Carnegie ways of saying no. You're right. No, um, I really can't do that. I have to be somewhere right now, but I hope uh, someone else comes along to solve your problem for you. Right. Have a nice day and drive away gently into the sunset. Right. You know, it's, you're not going to go from, sure, put down the window or, you know, how can I help you? You need money? Your window, your car window is not a drive-thru. 
Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have, just because somebody walks up, you don't have to put it down and, oh, how much will that be? Here, let me take care of that. Now, um, yeah. our, our friend, here's a story about being persuaded. Sure. Um, we had a neighbor that told us she was going to get her favorite car and she was all excited and she said, I mean, like, go get it, like buy it. You mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get, oh, I know what I'm going to get. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I, I had to look it up. I didn't realize what, oh, some kind of sport you, oh, okay. She comes back later that evening and says, oh, you want to see what I got? I was like, oh, my goodness. I mean, it usually takes me to ask Laura 10 trips <laughs> to make a car decision. And she said, oh, come on. I said, oh. Wow, this is really nice. Well, it's not what I wanted. Oh no! Oh, you, want, you wanted, you wanted more something else. I don't know. This looks pretty nice. She goes, "No, I didn't want this. Why is it here in the garage?" She said, "Well, I, pff, I don't know what happened. I, I was, why did you agree with? What do you mean?" She said, I, "I paid way too much for this. I shouldn't have." I said, "Oh no!" Turn right around. Take this thing back. No, she said, no, I'll, I'll just. I don't want to upset anybody. It's fine. That's right. She I didn't said... want to hurt the salesperson's right. feelings. I don't know. She said he was doing such a good job. I go, with your money. <laughs> your money. You're paying for it. It's only money. He's getting a commission. <laughs> right. Everybody's happy in a way. Mm -hmm. In a way. Right. Persuasion. Goes over to get a sports car and comes back with a great big utility vehicle with uh, <laughs> right. you know, five tires in the back and everything. But the sales guy's happy. Right. For a single person. A right. vacation movie, you know, with uh, right. mm -hmm. W. Chase, you know, where he gets that big, crazy <laughs> station wagon, you know, that's got everything. She's a single person. Right. So she knew she shouldn't have. Doesn't need that third seat in the back. <laughs> right. Right. Ever. But that's what happens. Yeah. 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 It's tough. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of people, probably a lot of younger women specifically, they haven't had this thought in their lives about exercising the ability to say no for something that you probably don't know enough about or you don't want in the first place. So it takes practice. I mean, I, I could picture sure. sitting down with my daughter or somebody and going over this, you know, say, okay, here's another example. Mm -hmm. Figure out a way to tell me no, because that's the bottom line. I'm sure you've heard the expression, what part of no do you not understand? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Only that was used more. Right. It's a pretty simple word. Pretty much says no. It's just, I don't want to do that. So you have a chapter called Technology Terror. Sure. Misogyny has weaponized technology. Technology has taken, we believe, the basic misogyny of the world and sexualized it and weaponized it. The ability of people to go online anonymously and say whatever they want has really given rise to a community of people who hate women and who call for violence against women. Let me apply the brakes to ask you this question, because I've had this on my mind, and both okay. of you are so great to ask this question to. Go back to misogyny, you know, rather than take it and run with it, but just for a moment. My two cents is that it stems from men who are unsuccessful with women. Yes. So it's like, if I'm unsuccessful and I can't have it, then I have to hate it. So I have to then take the energy I would have put into being successful and I have to use it now to figure out ways to destroy it. 
and in this case, destroy women or the idea of women or specific women. Do you think that holds any water? I think it holds a lot of water. I think that's actually the gist of it is the manosphere, which is, you know, the umbrella term for, for these online women haters. Many of them, almost all of them, are unsuccessful with women. But what they want is they want what society holds up women to be, what society says that you as a man should have. And because they can't have what they want, like you said, they want to destroy women. And this has real life consequences because some of the members of this community have attacked women. There's an incident in 2014 where a guy in California attacked women and many, many murders of women since then have occurred as a result of this particular murder. And I'm not going to mention it because I don't want to give it oxygen. Now, when you say more have happened, is that copycatting? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Okay. All right. Copycatting with the copycatters mentioning this murderer's name as somebody that they hold up in high regard, that they respect, that they want to be. Yes. And actually a number of mass murders have occurred as the result of this philosophy, hatred. Uh, Take the Parkland shooter, for example. Yes. A member of this community could not have what he wanted. You know, he was bullied. He had social issues other social issues as well, and took it out on on a community. So these communities who are calling young men to violence, and in some cases, they're just lonely young men. They Mm -hmm. don't know what to do. They don't know how to date. They don't know how to approach people, let alone women. They go online, they're looking for help. And what happens is social media will walk them through the steps until they find this manosphere. You know, like in YouTube or Netflix or whatever, it'll suggest similar content. Well, it suggests gradually radicalizing content, really. And these young men become radicalized. You know, it's sad because there's so many women, young women who are looking for dates as well. If these young men were able to learn some social skills, you know, be able to maneuver themselves with women, with young women, they could have what they wanted because there are women who would gladly date them, but they have this fantasy built up in their head and the community builds up that fantasy and then encourages them towards violence. And a lot of times you'll notice that it's not a surprise to the families or their job, if they have a job, or their job or wherever they went to school, he left college. You know, you'll always hear the trail afterwards from the family that said, yeah, I, I saw this. Or they're in the middle of shooting and the family's like, oh, that's, yeah, that, that's my son. Oh, mm-hmm. great. You know, so they are seeing the signs. They're living with the family usually into their through their 20s, 20s and 30s. These Right, right. Lately, these serial killers, they are still in the parents home you know under the parents thumb so they're they're buying guns their the room is filled with variations on hate 
you know, a lot of hatred. Yeah, absolutely. Hate. Right. You know, yes. one peek in there and I'm sure that a family would say, well, we right. need to call somebody or do something, but right. it's always a day late and a dollar short and lives are lost. We get out of our car, we go into a mall, we walk around and you see all kinds of people and they're on a mission to get a pair of pants or you're there to do something or get a gift for somebody, you know, whatever that is. At least I can say, I'm not walking around thinking, gee, I bet some percentage of people here are predators. It's probably a batch of them around here someplace. I'm not thinking about things like that. So in these conversations, we wind up talking about predators. And what I was thinking was, you know, predators have a way of not presenting themselves as predators, especially people in a dating relationship or any kind of relationship like that. They don't act the way they will act on the first date. You don't get on the first date what happens on the 30th date with the bad behavior shining through in an awful way. So. Right. When you think of predators, what thoughts come to mind in terms of figuring out somebody or spotting that somebody is a predator? When we think of predators, we think of somebody who's trying to cover their behavior. And one of the things we talk about regarding predators in the book is love bombing. Oh, yeah, sure. And, you know, so that would be when a predator... As you said, these people have practiced their craft, if you will. They yes. know what, what, what works and what doesn't. And in the case of love bombing, it's coming on strong on a date. It's acting as though you're the one. You, I have never met anyone like you. You're the one I've always dreamed of. And they shower you, we like to say, like a confetti cannon with attention and cards and text and whatever gifts to make you believe that you're the one that they want. When the truth of the matter is that it is predation because they know exactly what they're doing and what they are looking to do is set the emotional hook. Oh my gosh, they want you to fall in love with them. And, you know, so often we think of predators as being stranger danger when the truth of the matter is the predators that most impact women are the people that we know. And so in the case of love bombing, when they shower you with attention and it's just over the top, the first clue to recognize that predator is to understand that all of this attention in the beginning, as much as we all love the idea of whirlwind romances, or to set the emotional hook, because as you said, what you see on the first date is not what you're going to see on the 30th date. And a lot of times what's happening now in the news is a lot of online predators that are pretending to be young enough to get the 12-year-old to leave the house with them. Mm. And meanwhile, they're 30 or 40. But yet they're leaving the house with them because they have worked them so long online, pretending to be the new boyfriend. And I can take you away from all this. And that's how they start manipulating and working them. But they're working with a younger mind 
So, of course, the 13-year-old, and this is what you're seeing now. They're ending up in different states. And they're saying, meet me outside and I'll pick you up. And they're taking them to a different state. And all of a sudden, they're kidnapped. You know, be lucky that they're getting recovered. But uh, give it time and they wouldn't be. You know, as soon as they leave the house, they're in danger. As soon as they're on the computer, which... You know, for a younger person these days, it, it's just so dangerous right. to be on the computer and not have parental controls because this is what's happening. Support for When Dating Hurts comes from Sun and Swell. We all love snacks, but I just discovered Sun and Swell's organic, real ingredient snacks. These are the answer for health conscious people looking for delicious, wholesome snack experiences. Elevate your snacking with great flavor healthy products, and get this part. Sun and Swell has a real commitment to our planet. Here's how Sun and Swell has redefined snacking. Sun and Swell is the nation's first online grocery store that is offering plastic-free packaging. No one else is doing this. You could even send used packaging back using their compostable send-back program. It's the best of both worlds. It's delicious, 100% plant-based vegan products, 100% gluten-free, 100% real food, without added preservatives, and every product comes in earth-friendly, compostable packaging. What's more, Sun & Swell is a woman-owned small business. It's also a B corporation, which underscores their social and environmental performance. If you're looking for a more planet-friendly pantry, shop Sun & Swell and get 20% off site-wide when you go to sunandswellfoods.com and use my code WHENDATINGHURTS, all one word, at checkout. That's 20% off your entire order when you use When Dating Hurts at sunandswellfoods.com. So when I was thinking about predators, you were talking about an older guy hitting on some younger girl or a, a young boy or whatever it is. Okay. But I was thinking, you know, you're talking sort of that 20 year age gap kind of predator, predators. you know? Yeah. That, that type of thing. And I thought where you might go would be more some guy you know in college who turns out to be a predator. That is another big issue yes. right now, as a matter of fact. Doesn't it seem like that one has a, if there is such a yes. thing, that one has a better chance of happening maybe it than is, the, It is happening. Yes. And right now, between August and Thanksgiving break, it's called the red zone. Yes, in it college. sure is. Very dangerous to incoming new female freshmen. And this is where the predators are. The predators are inside the house and that's where it is. They're right next to them. They're at the parties with them. So they're pretending to be friends in college and they are the problem. And the unfortunate problem is women going to college for the first time, they're away from home, they're naive. Maybe they haven't dated before and they're going to a big school somewhere and they're trying to make friends and they end up going to parties and income the older class college men and then their predator behavior takes over. Have a few drinks. Let's not forget. And then right. they're friends, right. you know, so it's usually one or more. You know, if she went with a friend, they try to separate them and that's where they try to attack them. And it has become 
such a problem that 50% of all sexual assaults occur during that period of time, three months. That is amazing, isn't it? Gee, scary. That's mm -hmm. terrifying. And what's unfortunate is, as you described earlier, Bill, that so many young women are naive, they're trusting, and they don't really know, they don't know where things are, they just want to fit in, and they just want to belong. And the predators are aware of this, their practice, they know what to do, they know what to say, and the alcohol is flowing. So we have an acronym called HELP that can help young women stay on their game, really. And the first one is H, have a plan. Two, become educated about the red zone. Three, L stands for let's talk. Communicate with your friends, have a buddy, communicate with your family. And P, party smart. It is just some simple tips, but if these young people are where we believe of the dangers ahead of time, and they understand that this can happen, it gives them a far better chance of being able to keep themselves safe. To realize that this does happen in the college that you're going to, and it's colleges all over. So it's not, well, it doesn't happen in this school. It's colleges all over. And the colleges are trying to do what they can to get a handle on it. Yes, campus safety. I've been in touch with a lot of campus safety over the course of time. And mm. some are very good at it. Some of them, maybe they're not so good at it. Or, you know, they, they don't necessarily uh, represent the numbers, let's say, specifically when parents are thinking about which college to go to. It's tough. I think about these things and I look at it like, gee, you go off to school and you're thinking, okay, well, I got to take these classes, but I want to have fun. I want to meet people. Sure. Fast forward a week or so and it's Saturday evening and we go to the party that everybody's going to and you see in front of you maybe the embodiment of what you thought might be that person. And unfortunately, what's going on inside the mind of that person is not in your best interest, to put it kindly. Mm -hmm. Right. It's got to be really hard to kind of fight your feelings at that time because you think this is the moment I was hoping for. Wow, I right. didn't have to wait very long while you're walking around, as you say, in the red zone, which I've heard of before. And, mm -hmm. and you're having a great time and somebody whispers in your ear, no, 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 this is a dangerous time. It doesn't jive. You know, it doesn't fit too well. Right. So like a lot of things, things you've talked about already, you have to kind of understand these things before you step on the field and play the game, you know, that, the, and, and a lot of people don't want to hear it. It's like, ah, that, that's a, that's parent stuff. You know, all you, all you do is tell me everything that can go wrong. You know, why don't you lighten up and I'm just right. trying to have fun. And unfortunately, you know, it doesn't always work out that way. You know, you do meet Mr. Wrong in this case. Right. And then unfortunately the consequences that follow that. So mm -hmm. it's not the happiest subject throughout. No. The wake-up call is not the happiest thing. And it's not a happy subject if it happens. Right. Like a lot of things we talk about, it may not happen to you, but it probably will happen to somebody you know. It's going to be somebody who's in one of your classes. It could right. be your roommate or friend of your roommate. Right. It is going on. I mean, you have to accept the fact that it's going on. Right. And you're there for four years. Chances are it will cross your path at some point in time. Mm -hmm. And if you can kind of detect it. The other problem about the predator mindset in college and out of college is, oh, not him. 
he's such a nice guy. He's on the football team. Oh, yes. he's very smart. Oh, no, he's captain of this. Oh, he's in charge of that. And that's the problem. And that's why 80 to 99% of sexual assaults are not reported is because the victim isn't believed. And all of a sudden, the predator has become this wonderful, upstanding person who, who could never do anything wrong. That's where education needs to come into play so that young people going to college need to educate themselves when they get there is to read some of the handouts that they have about what a sexual assault is. A lot of women don't really realize what can happen to them. I don't really think that's it. Or is it my fault if I was drinking? You know, there's a lot of things that they can learn, pick up a pamphlet or speak to one of the advisors, but nobody wants to, you know, embarrass themselves. At least if you educate yourself or you speak to somebody a little older, and it's good to buddy up with somebody right. when Talk you get to, to friend. college. Yeah. Keep the lines of communications open. Right. Don't you think that part of it is too, especially in the early times in college, in those first three months or so, if you could coach on nothing else, at least to coach somebody to go it slowly, do you think? Yes. I would definitely say do not jump into a relationship as soon as you get to college. There really is plenty of time later on because the older college guys have already been through many semesters and they just keep recycling themselves. So women need to just take a step back. And, and that's also where you can see the personality of this person developing and not at a frat party. You, yes. you can't meet somebody when you're both drunk. And music's blasting and everything's, right. the room is spinning. It's hard to get a good look right. at somebody in a spinning room. Right. And that's where it's good to have a buddy as soon as you get to college, because you're going to start going to parties or, or going out, or even if you're going to meet somebody, take your friend and, and double date, go into a party with a friend and saying, I've got your back. You've got mine. We don't separate. You don't leave without me. And those are things that will help keep you safe on campus, walking at night, you know, going from one campus to the other, leaving the frat party. Right. Sitting your drink down. Right. right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You don't know what's going to be in it when you pick it back up. Mm -hmm. No. And those are things that you don't think of once you already had a drink at a frat party. You don't know what they put in those drinks, but those are things that you have to keep in mind or your friend has to watch out for you. You know, I'll, I'll, Hey, if you get a little drunk, I'll make sure I don't. And Yes. I'll like a designated driver. Right. A designated walker for you. You have a chapter called Dating Diligence. Dating Diligence is dating smart. It is not hoping that you will meet the right person. We talked earlier about love bombing. Mm -hmm. There is also the specter of online dating, which is all bets are off. Back in the day, you would meet somebody at work or at school or somebody through somebody you knew. So you had some perspective about this person. Yes. But with the anonymity of the internet, anybody can be anything. Quite actually, 
the dating platforms have little to no interest in keeping women safe. Some of them, very few, offer background checks for people. And if they do offer background checks, their background check consists of making sure that they have a real Facebook page. It doesn't include criminal background check or what we would consider a background check. It's very cursory. The other thing is that online dating platforms enable serial predators. If they don't have any kind of background check, you can take it to the bank that the free ones don't. What we always say, if you use a free online dating service, if you're not paying for the meal, you're the entree because nothing <laughs> is free. You're not going to be able to get on a free dating website. I mean, let's face it, these corporations are not nonprofit organizations. So if you're not paying for your profile, you're yes. not paying for at least some level of security, then they're using you to profile their ads yes. and to be able to offer you up to whomever. So it's kind of buyer beware. And that's why we want people to do their dating diligence, to make sure that the profiles have pictures. Do the pictures match the profile? Are you on a site where at least they will check somebody's Facebook profile or social media profile? Is it there? Do backup checks. Make sure that they have a social media presence because mm -hmm. if they don't, especially today, if they don't have a social media presence, chances are pretty good they're a scammer. And today, women want to find love, doesn't everybody? The problem is the person on the other side of the camera may, not everybody, but may have another plan in mind. And if they can't at some point meet you in a public place, they just can't get away from behind the computer, but they want to start requesting things from you. Hey, what's your email? I'll email. Hey, what's this? Oh, why don't you send me a picture? I'll send you a picture. You know, bing, bing, bing. You know, these are the start of several red flags. But people do it. And they send the pictures and then they end up online and the snowball starts. So, you know, we just try to point out there are a host of things that you could do before it seems like this is the greatest thing since sliced bread on the other side of the computer. You don't know who that person is yet. Anybody can sit down and make up a profile and say they went to Harvard and now I'm doing this and I got my doctorate and that sounds wonderful. And all of a sudden you just get this warm feeling and I've just got to get my bag and leave the house. I, I've got to meet this person. It takes education to keep yourself safe. It takes believing that not yes. everybody out there is looking out for your best interests and things can go sideways, can go wrong. Yeah. Two other things that we suggest that people do is, first of all, have a video chat with this person before you meet them. Have the video chat through the app itself. Don't give them mm -hmm. your email or your Facebook or whatever. Use that the video chat. And the second thing, is to let your friends see this person's profile too. See what they think. Get feedback from people who have your best interest at heart. 
hey, do you think this person's real? Hey, they're saying this. Hey, they're saying that. And after you get feedback and after you have actually seen this person and spoken with them and find out that their picture and what they're saying matches their profile, as Joy said, meet them in a public place, which is great. Coffee, always start small. Feel free to bring your friend. Let your friend ask questions. You know, just a regular conversation. You know, you don't have to grill the person because, well, what if they are decent? You know, they'll go along with it and ask questions. Now, if somebody got annoyed, I can't believe you brought your friend. Well, you you know, you could bring your friend. Yep. One of you, Joy, was a female cop. Mm -hmm. And what tips would a female cop give this audience? I want you to carry some personal safety devices. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm curious to see where you go with this. So I'm not saying a firearm. Okay. But first off, you can start with pepper spray. Now we're talking in general now. We're not out on a date at this point. No, no, no. I'm, no we're just This talking. is just another day in the life. Right. What women should carry on them in their purse. Uh-huh. I do. Part of your defensive living. Well, besides the gum and the keys and the, the wrappers and the snacks is the uh, pepper spray. I have a small metal flashlight that can be used during the day or at night to disorient, put it on flash, and can disorient an attacker. Now, is this one of those ones that says one of these super strong ones? Yes. Okay, because that definitely would mess up someone's vision for a bit while you're making your getaway. Yes, especially when, yeah, especially when you put it on strobe. So even during the day, they're going to be surprised by it and it's going to disorient them. And especially at night, you know, your eyes won't be able to adjust. So, you know, it's a good thing to have. And if it falls out of your hand, you're not going to be hurt by it like a knife. Obviously, you can always use the flashlight anywhere. Um, And also a tactical pen. Tell me about that. The pen is pretty much indestructible and it really is a pen and I travel with it. And at one end is a metal point that you can break car windows with and you can also use it as a weapon. Okay. Where would someone go and get these items? Uh, The tactical pen you can get and the pepper spray you can get online. Okay. So you don't have to dig too far to find these things. All of these self-defense items are very inexpensive. Mm -hmm. Right. You can probably get a lot of them for under $30. It's worth it to keep yourself safe. When you think of pepper spray, I guess that's like the size of a small deodorant can or something, right? Smaller. Even smaller. Yes. Like an inhaler size, like a, someone who has asthma inhaler? Actually fits in the palm of your hand. And it sends out quite a spray then in terms yes. of the size of the spray is what I'm trying to About say. About six to eight feet. Ah. You mean it'll hit something that far away? Yes. Oh. Yes. And there's a really good one that I have for joggers. So it's neon and it's neoprene. So it fits in the palm of your hand and it has Velcro. So if you're jogging, it's very easy to have right in your hand in case anybody grabs you. And that's kind of the whole point 
of the pepper spray. So if you are going to the ATM, you're at college, you're, you know, you're wherever, you're going to the ATM. So in your one hand, have your card ready to go because you know you're going to the ATM. So have your card out ready to go. In your other hand, have your pepper spray because if you have to dig for it, it's not going to happen and you're going to be unprepared. Never going to get that thing in time. Now, we had a friend that during the day she was leaving the bank and she was in the bank parking lot. Young man, which she didn't see because she wasn't looking around. He came up from the side, surprised her, and just asked her, well, gave her a hi. And that surprised her. And then uh, he must have been new at attacking. So he didn't know kind of what to say after that and kind of fumbled. And at that point, he went to grab her purse and then, you know, started tussling with her. And, you know, she went to the ground and she didn't have anything. And thinking back about it, she was upset with herself because she was blindsided. Yes. And didn't see him. So the pepper spray needs to be ready in your hand. Now you can get ones that are a little bigger, but they're really not bigger than the palm of your hand. Um, there is a foam, a pepper foam, which is great for different type of spaces. So of course you can't carry it on an airplane, but if you were traveling, we'll say by car and you're staying in a hotel, you were in an elevator, the difference between the foam and an actual pepper spray is the foam stays on their face like shaving cream. So oh, you're not going to be bothered by the pepper spray as you would in the aerosol of the other kind of pepper spray. So the foam is very good to keep with you if you're in your car and you're attacked in a small space. The foam is great. I mean, the foam shoots out as much as the other one, but you know, again, you wouldn't get the blowback that you would from the other one. I would think with a foam too, your aim would have to be more precise. Right. So it's better in a close quarter area. Like if you knew you were staying in a hotel, we'll say for a while, I would go with the foam because you're going to be in a hallway. You're going to be uh, using the elevator a lot, places like that, or at, at your workplace places like that where you might be cornered with somebody in that type of area. Yeah. We also use bear spray for, I mean, that's a bigger can. So like, we'll say if you're riding a bicycle, bear spray is great because bear spray, you could put in your water holder. That's how long it is. Uh -huh. It's about, uh, it's about a foot long, right? And now the best thing about bear spray is this is powerful. It has to be that large of a canister because of the propellant Close. and it sprays up to 30 feet. So that's the whole point is with pepper spray, you don't want your attacker being close to you. So pepper spray is great. So, you know, let's start there. If you're going to be carrying, what should I carry? What would help me carry that? You know, I mean, there are a number of other things, but this is going to make somebody stop in their tracks. They're going to have trouble breathing. Their hands are going to go up to their eyes. And it's very hard to attack somebody at that point. And then you make your getaway. Yes, right. You foil them. We have actually oh. used the bear spray ourselves. I carry it when I walk the dog. So we had an incident 
where we were walking and walking a dog and neighbor's dogs would get out sometimes, you know, the neighbors would go to get their mail and whatnot. Sure. And so we carried the bear spray and a dog, like an 80 pound dog came after us headed for the other dog growling and snarling and the bear spray stopped the dog in its tracks. So from 20 feet away and the dog was unharmed, but you know, it's going to stop an 80 pound dog. It's going to stop a bear or it's going to stop a two-legged predator. I was thinking about the tactical pen and things like that. I mean, can you take that on a plane? I do. I mean, they, is, is uh, TSA going to see that and they're okay with it? I don't know if that's going to look like a weapon. It's a pen. I mean, if it's a real pen. I mean, if they if they take it, they take it. But I fly with it. You know, it goes I and carry on. Mm-hmm. Now the sprays, no. Forget no it. No spray. Yeah, it. The spray. No spray. Now what you can do. So let's go to what you you can do if you can't bring the sprays. What you can get is let's just say you're you're traveling, is a can of hornet spray when you get to your destination, because let's say you can't fly with it. So you could always go 7-Eleven, you know, wherever, and get that. And that'll do a job too then, huh? Yes, that's just about as good. Hornet spray. And a little thing of bug spray. Oh, really? Yes, the little small one that you can carry. For like mosquito spray or something? Exactly, mosquito spray, that you can carry... Like, you know, it's almost the size of a woman's small hairspray. So that little, not even an aerosol, one of the, that you can carry in your purse. So it's just something that if you took it out, somebody would be surprised that you sprayed something at them. And that's your object is to throw them off their game and you to make a getaway. You know, you're obviously not going to still stand there. I don't care what you spray them or you kick them or you hit them. You know, the object is you need to get out of there, call the police, do whatever you can. And of course, make a lot of noise. So you want to yell out and make noise because you want people to come out. If it's at a hotel, you want people to come out of the room. So you don't want to keep it to yourself if you were fighting somebody off. Be as loud as you can, sure, especially in a parking lot. What would you suggest? Let's say we're in the we're in a hotel, you know, you've been traveling all day and you're wheeling your suitcase and you've got your briefcase and all whatever, all your computer stuff and all you're tired, you've had it, you know, you've had flight delays. And next thing you know, you're at the door trying to figure out how to make this particular card get the door open. And then all right. of a sudden oh. here's Joe Predator. Besides maybe the possibility of a spray, but if they were yelling something, what would you suggest they yell? Anything in particular? Call the police. Help me. Call the police. Call the Just police. Something. So at least if somebody hears that, they know that you're not just arguing with someone you're traveling with. This has escalated to something. Or even if it is in somebody's mind, they don't know, they're in a room. But if they hear, call the police, somebody's calling the front desk going, somebody's yelling, call the police. Yes. No matter where you are, that's something startling to somebody, even in a parking lot. Somebody here is call the police because sometimes when you, when you yell, get off me or just things like that is people don't realize, you know, they, they've just become conditioned to might just be a domestic. I don't want to. 
get involved in that. So, you, you know, you want to make it known. I want the police. Yes. Get the police, call them all here. Yes. It indicates it's gotten this bad, whatever it is. Yeah. And I want this person arrested is, is the point. The insinuation. Sure. Right. You have a chapter called From Victim to Victor. What can you tell me about that? Because I really like that a lot. You know, with again, with a lot of the episodes that I have been putting out over the last year, I'm always talking about going from victim to survivor in this case, and you take it another step with Victor. So I, I like that very much. Give me the thinking philosophy behind that. From victim to victor is about not just trauma recovery. It's about thriving after trauma. It's mm. about how to fix that broken place. And speaking for myself as a survivor of childhood trauma, it took me a long time to get to that place. But what I have found is that by working through that trauma, not only have I transformed myself, but I've been able to help other people. We wrote the book to help other people. And we put that chapter from victim to victor early in the book, because what we recognized was that some people might not even recognize that they have been a victim. They might just assume that it wasn't bad enough, that whatever happened to them wasn't bad enough for them to classify themselves as a victim. And that once they go through the book and they see all of these instances that we discuss, that they may say, oh, that might ha- that's what happened to me. So oftentimes in our society, shame is rained down on the victim that maybe the victim of whatever assault or crime it is, if we had done something differently, that maybe the assault or the crime wouldn't have happened. Scam, sham, crime, assault, whatever it is, that it may not have happened. And the truth of the matter is, as you said, there are predators out there, whether they're in relationships, whether they're in parking lots, they are there looking for victims. And once a person has been victimized, it's difficult to recover. But what we're here to say is that not only to be repetitive, not only can we recover, we can thrive afterwards. And it's called post-traumatic growth. It's not only possible if we do the work and we recognize and we refuse to be shamed and we refuse to believe that we were powerful enough to do anything that could have averted that victimization. That starts us on the road to recovery. I am better than I could have ever imagined myself to be. And that's what we want for other trauma survivors, for other victims, is to be better than they could have ever thought for themselves to be. Yeah, that's really taking a a horrible thing and turning it around and and Mm -hmm. using it as fuel. And with people like that, of course, there's no, you don't have to convince them these things can happen. They've been through it. And if they, as I'm sure they would say they do, if they dislike what happened so much, you've been defeated, you hate what happened to you, you're probably embarrassed it happened to you, and it gives you this impetus to overcome it, and they kind of come out muscle-bound about it, and now they're so ready. You know, they do know it can happen. And then also, like you are both doing, is that you are taking all this and letting the world in on it all. 
you know, like, you know what you're talking about because you've come from two different worlds, right? but you've come together and there's so much knowledge that you're sharing that, that it puts everybody at a great advantage if they will just get your book, believe what they're reading, believe it can happen, take those steps, go get those tools that you need, whatever that means, you know, whether it's learning how to say no, or it's some of the, the sprays or whatever those things, you know, to have them. Because I know myself, you get to the holiday season and you're shopping it got darker outside faster than you thought it yes. would. And you're walking out to your car. And I mean, I'm some guy walking out there and I'm looking, you know, my head's on right. a swivel, you know, but, but chances are I'm not as interesting as that 30 year old woman over there. Who's walking out with three bags under her arms and, and looks like this is going to be a walk in the park with her. You know, they're going to get whatever they want out of this engagement. And that's the, the other thing about predators is that they look for the easy prey. They want somebody who is not going to give them as much of a struggle. They want what they want, <clears throat> whatever that might be. They're going to pick the weakest link. Even if you are in heels and you're carrying your bags, walk confidently. Mm -hmm. So if you walk with that air of confidence, even if it seems like somebody's following you, so you turn around, you give them that glance, like, I don't really care. And that's the look you give them, not, oh, I have to walk faster. You give them that look, you look back and keep going. Just think and act more confidently when you're out. They don't want that. They want someone who is going to be more timid and mm -hmm. hurry up and start fumbling around. If you plan ahead, now, of course, you don't want to think an attack somewhere could be imminent. But, you know, in the back of your mind, it's better to be aware and prepared. You know, one of the things that I wish my daughter had been through would be self-defense training. Not that every guy is so good at it for himself from a self-defense standpoint, but I mean, if you play a little bit of football and you get banged around, or if you get into a few fights growing up, you know, something happened on the schoolyard or on the bus or something, you know, at least you get a little bit used to taking something that's coming after you and you might lose the fight, but at least you could give a fight. You know, you could, you could do something to defend yourself. I know someone like my daughter, she was attacked at 3 a.m. She didn't make it. She didn't live. But I guarantee you, she didn't put up much no. of a fight at all. You know, her, her friends always used to say, and they meant this as a compliment, but she was a very peaceful person, if anything, a coward. You know, meaning that that if somebody was really aggressive around her, if somebody were pushy around her, she just want to get out of there. You know, so she 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 didn't have a prayer and really am surprised more parents don't put their daughters specifically into judo classes, karate classes, some kind of self-defense, because as if you've been trained a little bit when something's happening, the mere fact that the person who's starting the trouble is not ready for what's about to happen in the next 10 seconds. You know, when they're, they're next laying on the ground somewhere trying to figure out where their right. nose went, you know, because it just got cracked on pretty hard or they, they took a shot between the legs. Self-defense classes are a great idea. Mm -hmm. And even if at any age, even if you pull out one or two ideas out of that, you don't need to flip somebody over, but if you can just remember, oh, if I just do this, oh, if I do that, it'll give you more confidence. Mm -hmm. That's all. And it's a mindset. Yes. You'll be more relaxed 
doesn't sound like it, but you will because you'll know deep down, oh, I trained for this. So you'll feel more yes. confident if you need to do something. Almost at the point of muscle memory, I guess. Yeah. You know, like when something starts yeah. to happen, if you've been trained some, if something starts to happen, you recognize it much more quickly. Mm-hmm. For most of us, if you were to walk out to the parking lot, someone takes your shoulder and turns you around. You didn't see it coming. You're not thinking. You can't process what's in front of you. But if you'd been in different classes where people were grabbing you, pushing you around a little bit, you learn how to sweep their legs out or you learn how to do something to block something or give them a shot. Well, right. And and you would also learn how to fall. That's going to happen. You know, you may even trip yourself. Those are things that you would learn in a self-defense class. So what do I do? If I fall, how do I fight from down here? How do I get up quick? Even if you can just pull out just a couple things. And also just keeping yourself physically fit is very helpful in case anything happened. To that end, if I could throw something in here, there is nothing that will give you training for responding to an attack like growing up in a domestic violence household. And what has happened to me, you can't see me, but I'm not a physically very, I'm not, I don't take up a lot of real estate. I'm five foot two. You know, I can throw a a really good punch to the throat. They don't expect that from, from a small woman. Like you said, it's that muscle memory and, Mm -hmm. and it has stayed with me all these years. Now I'm not saying that's, you know, I wish everybody would grow up in a, in a bad household by any means, but what it did to take good from a bad situation is it trained me to not be afraid to defend myself. And it wouldn't occur to a lot of people to do that at all. If something bad starts happening, they just want it to stop, period. They're not thinking about turning the tables. They're not thinking about sending that person back in the other direction. You know, the people who incorrectly profiled me, two of them were twice my size learning as a child that size doesn't matter and stood me in good stead a couple times as an adult. What was actually happening when this happened with these people? They attacked me. Where, I mean, where were you? What was going on? One case I was in a laundromat and another oh. case I was in a bus station, you know, like a Greyhound bus station. And in both cases, was it men? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're in a laundromat. By myself. And uh, are you at the washer or dryer or both at that time? I was folding my clothes. To be clear, it wasn't somebody who just came up from behind. It was somebody I was chatting with. This guy was doing his clothes. I was doing my clothes. We're chatting. And the next thing I know, he has his hand around my throat. And it was completely instinctive. I leaned back and I drove my fist into his neck towards his spine. So I didn't stop at the throat. I pushed forward to the spine and he fell down. How did he take to that? A difficult breathing. Yeah. And I don't know whether I crushed his windpipe or whatever. What I do know was the hand came off my throat and, and I was gone. The second time, similar situation in a bus station. And the guy, in this case, the guy grabbed my arm to drag me someplace. It was late at night. I was waiting for a connecting bus. Guy grabbed my arm and said, let's go. And I pretended that I didn't know what he wanted. And when he turned his his full body toward me, same thing. 
Yeah, the next shot. Now, I didn't learn that particular move from my childhood. But what I did learn was the split second reacting to being attacked. Yes. To to fighting back and to not hope that things would get better. I think that's ingrained too. I know there's some videos I've seen about self-defense and it it's almost like in some situation like that, it's almost like somewhere in our heads too, we, we have this sense of that if it comes to a fight, we have to fight fairly. And absolutely. And no fair fight. And in no this fair. case, it's like, no, it's the one punch fight. You know, it's just whammo. And then we'll get the details later if we right. need them. And that's why our, yeah. our line is we're modernizing the rules of women's safety. I like that. So we're changing it up. Things are changing. Doing things different, and we want women to know that. Things are changing. Now, both of us are still very nice people. Mm -hmm. We are lovely people. But the line's not going to be crossed. Hey, look, if everybody else is nice, you can be nice. Sure. They don't want to be nice, then you have to kind of like take it up a notch. If you step over the line of respect, that's going to be a problem. What we like women and everyone to know Mm -hmm. is if it feels wrong, it is wrong. I like that. And that if you feel that you're in danger, don't minimize it. Don't tell yourself it's probably nothing. Respect that feeling and act upon it for your own self-interest. That's your safety intuition talking to you. Mm -hmm. Listen to your inner voice. That might be the only chance you get, quite frankly. Right. You don't want to learn the next day in the hospital or someplace else. Geez, I just, it felt weird and felt wrong. And sometimes you don't. And then here I am now. I don't get a second chance. And Joy, didn't a lot of victims that you spoke with say that exact same thing? Time and time again, they said, oh, I shouldn't have. I know I shouldn't have. I don't know why I did. They felt that something was wrong. Right. They felt that something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Yes. I didn't know why I let that happen. I don't know why I went out with them. I saw it coming and I still didn't do anything about it. Yes. I don't know why I went back with them. I don't know what I was thinking. I felt I had a bad feeling so many times. I can't tell you. Nearly 30 years worth of hearing it. Joy and Laura, thank you so much for talking about your book with me today and with our audience. Your book is Street Smart Safety for Women, Your Guide to Defensive Living. You've had a lot of years leading up to writing this book, meaning a lot of experiences, whether you have unfortunately grown up with it in your family and seen a lot of unfortunate behavior. And in Joy's case, working on a police force and seeing kind of the aftermath, Mm -hmm. You know, you have just such a wealth of knowledge, and it's so great that you took all that and you funneled it into this book that's coming out October this year, 2023. And it's a book that really, again, I would say the target is parents of women who are in their teens and 20s and maybe beyond. But then, of course, women in general, you know, because it could be something could be going on with your sister if you're a guy and you're going to wish you had seen this book. It's an easy read. I don't mean that it's lightly done, but it's easy to read. It's easy to move through. The chapters are great. There's a lot of things that you run into that you don't see coming, but make a lot of sense when you get there. And so I really highly endorse this. And it's uh, it'll make people feel better about life in the here and now, meaning 
the more safe and secure you feel, the better you feel about this moment you're living in. But it also is very much forward looking with regards to technology and really the realities of, of what goes on, unfortunately. Unfortunately, too, maybe now more so than ever in our history. Thank you so much, Joy and Laura, for being with me today. I wish you the best with your book. Thank you so much, you. Bill. Hope you have a bestseller. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for having us. And thank you for helping us get the word out to people. Absolutely. Thank you, Bill. It was really a pleasure. I agree with you. This was really, this was enjoyable, but also just, you know, life-saving information. And it's uh, always good to be putting that out there. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. thank you for having us. Thanks to my guests for offering their stories on the When Dating Hurts podcast. This is your platform where victims, survivors, and others who have experience with domestic violence can freely add what they have witnessed. Through these stories, although challenging to listen to, we underscore the prevalence and horrific behavior of abusers over their targets and victims. With knowledge comes enlightenment and empowerment. If you feel your story should be included on this podcast, please email me at billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. That's billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. Thank you.